0: Welcome to Mormon book reviews where an evangelical encounters the restoration. So, uh, folks, I have a very interesting guest who came, who decided to come on at, kind of at the last minute. Uh, I watched his movie, uh, "Who Killed Joseph Smith?" on Sunday, and within a few hours, I was in touch with him. Now, I know this is going to be a very controversial episode, but I feel like I told people, you know, I, I interview people without prejudice. Um, I don't take any sides. And the goal of this channel is to talk to the full spectrum of the restoration. And at first, I was kind of hesitant to reach out to him. But then I thought, you know what, I'm talking to everybody. That means I'm talking to everybody. But I think this will be a very instructive episode. Uh, Justin Griffith, uh, welcome to my program. Thank you. So Justin, um, obviously, uh, (laughs) Thursday, I'm online. (laughs) And all these things start rumbling uh your movie uh had that special showing in utah and then of course it was released online and then i had a few of my listeners send me links on sunday to the program to to your movie so i had the opportunity to watch it and uh, boy you called some ripples this past weekend my friend good what? <laughs> what's it like um the ripples yeah what's it like to be now just jump into this world and have this kind of to have this kind of impact on it
1: it's new that's for sure so lots of people have been reaching out lots of good questions lots of comments lots of people that are supporters lots of people that are completely against it so yeah it's been awesome to connect with other people who are passionate about carthage
0: okay well, before we get into too many details about the film, I actually think it's important that we lay some groundwork about who you are. I'd like for you to tell me a little bit about your faith journey, um, just so your background and just uh, what kind of you know uh, fa- family you were raised in, all that kind of stuff. Just, just tell us a little bit about your backstory.
1: Okay, so I was born and raised in the LDS church and, My family goes back all the way to Kirtland and great family, you know, the best family and love the church, love everything about the church. Um, Went on a mission to Greece, graduated from BYU, um, married in the temple, have three kids, um, been married for 25 years. Does that give you (laughs) a good idea? The normal guy, normal member of the church, right? You, you check all the boxes, right?
0: <laughs> so, um, and how would you describe yourself? Like basically you're just true blue Mormon, just, you know, uh, word of wisdom, tithing, all that kind of stuff, right?
1: I was, yeah. Temple recommend holder, loved going to the temple, uh, went to the temple once a week for 20 years. Uh, wow. really enjoyed that experience, uh. I even I even did my home teaching and ministering faithfully, if that gives you an idea of how uh, committed I was to being a member of the church.
0: Wow. And
1: so I guess
0: I guess that leads to like word. What got you on this journey? Like, was there something that you read or a person that you talked to that kind of started getting your wheels turning?
1: So looking back over my life, there were several significant spiritual experiences that at the time I didn't know the full ram. I knew that they were amazing experiences and helped build my faith, but I didn't know the full ramifications of them. And I think everybody has experiences like that, that they don't understand until later, but they kind of culminated for me in the last few years. In about the beginning of 2019, I was reading in 3rd Nephi uh, from the teachings of the Savior to the people that were there. And he said, He commanded to read and study the words of Isaiah, of the great prophet Isaiah. And I put a little note in my scriptures that says, I really need to do this. Because when I read that, you know, you know how when you read in the scriptures, sometimes it, it hits you extra. Well, that happened. And I was like, I need to do that. But I didn't do that because it's a it's an overwhelming idea to go try and figure out Isaiah. But then a month or two later, I'm reading in the Book of Mormon and Moroni says, you need to study the words of Isaiah. And that time I could no longer deny it and I said okay I will do this and but I didn't know how to do that I had read other books about Isaiah in the past notably uh, Cleon Skousen's um, Isaiah Explained I don't know if you've read that one it's a pretty thick book but wouldn't say that I grasped Isaiah so I went online looking and saw a couple of different authors came across a book by Gileotti Isaiah Decoded and read it and just couldn't get enough. So I got every one of his books and read all of his books. And then I felt, you know, somewhat equipped to try and study Isaiah myself and and just began diving into Isaiah. But, you know, it takes time and it takes effort to understand Isaiah. And there's a scholastic approach to understanding Isaiah. But for me, Uh, what was becoming more interesting is the personal revelation approach, like reading it and how a verse hit me and asking questions and praying for understanding. And that is really what changed me is the idea of receiving personal revelation, uh, of praying and seeking understanding and guidance. I'd always prayed in my whole life, but I don't know. I just kind of did what I was supposed to do, and figured if you know God wanted to stop me if I was on the wrong path, He would let me know. But I didn't really seek. I didn't knock, if that makes sense. And so that's that's how things started uh, changing for me. Is I really started seeking, and I think it helped me do that.
0: So what kind of conclusions did you come to after this intense study of the Book of Isaiah?
1: So several. Um, first of all, the I was unfamiliar with the idea of the end time Davidic servant and the end time Ark tyrant, and I have my own uh, theories about who the Ark tyrant is, as does everybody who studies Isaiah. But the Davidic servant, I wasn't really super familiar with that idea. And so i went online and started you know trying to figure out what other people think and it was a big deal i mean there's thousands and thousands of people trying to figure who the davidic servant is so that put that seed in my mind of what is that going to be like and you know the idea in isaiah is that the end time shepherds have gone astray and they're leading their people astray and it's really easy to read Isaiah no matter what church background you come from and think that applies to everybody else in the world but you know I wanted to know does that apply to me Does that apply to the church that I'm in but how do you answer that without getting your own connection with the spirit and trying to figure out what God would have you know so those are some of the concepts that I couldn't fully grasp just by studying the book that I sought for more information on, it, if that makes sense. And well,
0: so. one of the things about this channel is I try to find convergences between my movement and the restoration. And I'm just curious: did you study any like Christian or evangelical writings on Isaiah commentaries, or did you strictly did.
1: stay with? I did, but that wasn't until much later. Much okay later. now. Now I have no problem listening to anybody from any background who has done the work to put something out there. But then I felt more comfortable if it was either officially church endorsed or somebody in good standing in the church, that kind of thing. So, hmm.
0: Interesting. So is there a particular evangelical study of Isaiah that you uh, found interesting or observations or that you've made about that?
1: Yeah. So have you been on Bible Hub before? Yeah. Yeah. I've been on there. So Bible Hub is one of our favorite uh, tools to study from. And you get, you know, however many different Bible translations there are. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy immensely seeing the different translations and comparing them to each other. But really what I learned from that is not. Not to seek after one person and say, all right, this, this person, they've figured it all out. Rather, listen to everybody's point of view and then decide for myself, what do I think is right? And, and then I'll take those conclusions to the Lord myself and come up with what I feel confident saying I think this is right, rather than just parroting somebody else, if that makes sense.
0: Okay, so this is really fascinating to me. So I guess the next obvious question is, is how does one studying the book of Isaiah lead to you uh, producing and creating the movie Who Killed Joseph Smith? There's a big jump
1: in there. <laughs> yes. Um, well, on the path of receiving your own guidance from the spirit, um, If you decide to pursue that diligently as a member of the LDS church, eventually you're going to run into a revelation that you receive that contradicts something that the church teaches or the prophet is saying to do. It's going to happen. And you're going to have to decide how to approach that. And, That didn't happen for me at first, you know, everything I was learning was going along just right along nicely with everything I had grown up with. And I had, um, some experiences where if you're trying to come to the Lord, if you're trying to get closer to him, one of the first things he does is let you know of the idols that you've placed between him and, and yourself. And these are not things you'll find in the scriptures necessarily. And they're not things you'll find in the church handbook, but they are things that the Lord knows are coming between you and him. And he asked me to give some of those things up. Like for instance, I had a very expensive, fast uh, car that I owned and I loved that car. And the spirit was like, that car you bought it it's just for pride you bought it for pride and i couldn't i can't ignore that it was true i had bought it for pride and so i had to give that up and that was not an easy thing to do it wasn't the end of the world it's not the hardest thing to do either but i followed through on that impression that i had received from the spirit and then that brought me closer to the lord it made things a little bit more clear easier to pray and understand you know you just get light in your life when you follow the impressions of the spirit so i'd already had a number of those experiences where i began to trust um what i was being led to do by the spirit so when one finally came that contradicted what the church did i couldn't just easily dismiss that that away Earlier in my life, I could have. If, it con- if I could get a thought or an impression or hear something from somebody that goes against the church, it's easy to kick it out and say that that isn't true. But in the scenario I was in, it was not easy because I had this experience of the spirit. I knew this was the spirit. And that was the big leap of faith. And I went through with it and I trusted it. And I figured, I guess, all right, let's say I'm wrong about this. I can go back, I guess. But regardless, I went through with it, and I believed it was the Spirit. And So let
0: me ask I, you, what, yeah. how would you respond to an LDS uh, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who would go to you and say, you are being deceived by the adversary, that once you have a personal revelation that contradicts the prophet or the church, that's the adversary talking, that's not the Spirit
1: well, I would explain exactly what I just explained to you is normally I would totally agree with you. But in this case, I already had this experience and trust that it was, that it was legitimate. And so I just couldn't easily dismiss that. And so I planted that seed to watch what fruit grew from it. And it ended up being a positive thing in my life, something that brought me closer to the Lord. So how can I, how can I deny that? But then now you're left with, okay, why would the prophet say something that goes against what the Lord would tell you through his spirit? And when you come up with your answer for that and your way of dealing with that, then you can move even further forward until you get on a path where you just seek the truth. You don't want, all of these tainted stories you don't want the traditions you don't want someone else telling you their thoughts about it you just want what does the lord want what is his truth and when you go on that path and you're open like that when you have a broken heart and contrite spirit and approach it as a child and you're willing and you're believing that the lord can teach you you know all sorts of things start coming into your life that you've never experienced before and you're open to them. To Before you just would have, you know, and immediately kicked them all out. And now you're open to exploring and learning and seeing, is this something, is this the word of God or not? So that's what led me to questioning Carthage rather than just accepting the narrative. That's what led me to questioning it.
0: So what that make
1: sense?
0: Yes, it makes, it makes sense. You know, I come from the charismatic movement. So the language you use is very familiar to me. Um, so it it doesn't scare me, you know, like there might be some Christians that it would, it doesn't, and so I I come to this with understanding, so I guess you brought it up, Carthage, what was it that drew you to Carthage, now at the beginning of the movie, you had mentioned how you had been down to Nauvoo, and you never, but you had the opportunity present itself to go visit Carthage, and for whatever reason, and you still can't quite figure out why, you decided not to go, um, yeah. And so it was a long time later that you, to, you make that journey to Carthage. Maybe let's start there. So when I
1: was 17, I uh, had the opportunity to go be in the Nauvoo pageant and participate in that and went out to Carthage. Wonderful. Loved that experience. Had you know, a really good, spiritual, strong experience. Being there in Nauvoo was just incredible. And a group did they said hey let's go over to Carthage and I said no and I wasn't it's so looking back I don't know why I said no because I everyone asked let's go visit everything I visited everything I was so excited about it and so I always thought about that and I think that's one of those experiences that make no sense until later in your life when you start stitching that stuff together I can see okay maybe I wasn't meant for Carthage at that point but you know now um I was ready
0: I was ready for it now in the movie I I just want to ask a little background here because it shows you uh driving to Carthage and filming yourself there was that the first time you ever been there when you actually filmed or did you go there do some preliminary work and then come back and film
1: no that was the first time (laughs) so it was awesome and it's not what I thought but I guess nothing is ever what you thought but And I feel like, you know, because I was filming and everyone's wearing masks and it's, you know, all the COVID stuff is raging. They had just opened it back up to tours. And I was, you know, heavily committed into figuring these things out at that time. I didn't get to take the chance to just quietly reflect. And I would like to go back and do that someday, you know, it, it did hit me in time uh, the severity of what happened. you know, have you been, have you been to Carthage? Mm-mm. It's one place I haven't gotten to yet. The rooms very small and that hits you. And but you know, I, I realized that this is where they were murdered and that kind of thing just hit me strongly. But I was hoping maybe to feel the spirit of there testifying about these two great brothers. I didn't have that experience there. So I hope to go back and have that sometime. So did, if, when you if they'll if, let me come back,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I want to get back to doing some of the filming uh, you Did some really interesting things. But so when you were on your way to Carthage, you what were what were you you had to have had some preconceived ideas or that you'd done some research that caused yes. you to go there. So maybe tell me what was your mindset going there? What were you uh, what, what was your worldview at
1: that point? Okay, so I'll give you the little bit of background. Um, Somebody had shared with me the Carthage conspiracy online. I don't know if you've watched that YouTube, but that I showed in the movie that um, had planted a lot of thoughts in my mind. When I first watched it, I wasn't familiar with that there's any question whatsoever about the narrative. And that was like, oh no, there's all sorts of questions. So I wanted to find that guy that was on that video because it's not a very good quality recording and i just wanted to talk with him and see what his thoughts were but i could never track him down so i talked with john i've been john friends with john for a few years and john was like yeah i know all about that theory i was doing it even earlier talking about these things and i'm like well tell me tell me what's on your mind and One of the first things that he went through and same thing that the video went through is the angle of taking that shot through the window to hit Hiram in the back is a really difficult angle to hit because he's up on that second story. And when it hits him in his lower back, the entry wound and the exit wound through his pocket watch uh, pocket and the front of his vest is parallel to the floor. So how do you get an upward trajectory shot that hits you in the lower back and then travels parallel with the floor? That didn't make sense to either of them and it didn't make sense to me either. And especially because he wasn't aimed up, aimed directly at the window. He was 10 feet back from the door according to the eyewitness accounts. So the angle would have had to come sideways and turn to go towards the door. And it would have had to, it would have come in at an angle going down and should have exited higher and it didn't. It went straight. So they're just like, how did that happen? And they're like, you can't even, I mean, if you're standing down below the window, the mobs all gathered around the jail shooting, you wouldn't even be able to see Hiram because of the angle. But when I talked with Sam, Sam had worked that out. And he said, if you're about 60 to 70 feet back, you can see into that room. The Lions brothers said, you can't, i had read their study and they said, you can't see into that room. We stood there on that same day at the same time and you can't see, but Sam's like, no, you could easily see into the window and make that out. But to get the right angle, Hiram had to have stood a little bit closer to the window and the rise would have been so minimal that it would be accounted for in the entry and exit wound. So he he made me believe it was possible that a mob member could have made that shot into Hiram's back. However, he agreed that at that distance, these muskets were super, they, they weren't good aim. And so they would have been firing and firing, maybe one in 10 would have made it through the window. So I expected that there was going to be bullet holes all around in the rock marks from those musket balls. So that was what I was excited. I was like, I got to see this. I've got to see. What does it look like around that window? And I went out and looked, we caught that part on camera. I was just like, what? There's nothing here. There is none of those marks are here. So that, that made me start questioning that theory. You know, that made me start questioning every, every narrative that claims that the bullets were being shot from the mob outside through the windows. I mean, if you look at any of the church reenactments of this, they all show mob members outside shooting towards those windows, and there's no, there's no marks in the stone from that.
0: Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Uh, You mentioned a couple names, I just for our audience who hasn't seen the movie, you had mentioned a John and a Sam, maybe just talk about John and give them their last
1: names because they were both in the film, correct? John Hysek's in the film and he is uh, a researcher of all early Mormon things. He has the largest private collection of Mormon artifacts of anyone in the world. I think he has over 250,000 pieces. And he lives close to the area. He's been there many times. He studied it out many times, but his theories came from a document standpoint, just reading the documents and tracing the documents and journal entries and newspaper articles to figure out that something wasn't wasn't adding up from the eyewitness testimonies. So it was great to talk with him and listen to his ideas And then Sam Weston, the other one, Sam uh, works at the Church History Museum, and he's retired now. He spends a lot of time on church history, and he's especially good at Carthage. And he was referred to me by Casey Childs. Casey Childs painted the painting, A Poor Wayfaring Man of Greek, that is in um, the museum. And... That painting has two parts. And the first part he consulted with the Lion brothers. And then the second half, he consulted with Sam. So he's mixed his theories in his painting, which is kind of interesting if you know the history of the different theories because the painting doesn't make sense because of that. But it's great painting. So I talked with Casey. And as I was, Casey had to do his own work to figure out, you know, what happened at Carthage. And he had his ideas and he was a great guy to talk with. And he's the one that referred me to Sam. So I went and met, and Sam was very gracious. We spent the afternoon together, just talking about Carthage. It was fantastic. And then I met him later when the museum opened back up. Went down and looked at the artifacts with them, and it was fantastic. Great guys.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and I want to get back to a little bit about that stuff, but I also just want to ask a quick question because this is the first thought that came to my mind was um, you had said there was no, you know, pock marks and stuff around the window with people were like firing indiscriminately towards the window. Do we know of a history of any restoration to that building that
1: perhaps could have happened? On the inside, yes. On the outside, no. It's the original stone. On the inside, there's been any number of uh, restorations done. And Sam actually is the one that has the history of all of those. So. Mm. Okay,
0: that's interesting. So, you know, one of the things, and so obviously, for those of you who haven't seen the film, um, one of the things he does is uh, places four different theories. Um, Three theories that were out there already about um, the forensic uh, evidence uh, and the interpretation of where bullet entries and stuff through the door, also through using uh, David Hiram's uh, death mask um, as a forensic evidence. Um, And so what you do is you kind of lay out four different theories. Uh, Jonathan Neville likes to call it multiple working hypotheses. Um, The idea is, you know, let's just put them all out there. And see which ones fit the best. The evidence fits best with. Um, now I'm not a forensic. I'm not. I don't know anything about. I, I've watched a few episodes of CSI. I watched your movie. Of course, I watched movies like JFK. You know, talk about the magic bullet theory and stuff like that. Those kind of things interest me. Um, but I, I just wanted to give you some props for at least you know say you, you at least try to test out all the different theories. Now, I have to talk to people that are experts in this and let them watch the film and get their. Perspective, And I'd like to maybe have somebody come on to kind of maybe give their view of the evidence that you presented, because I think you're starting an interesting conversation. Um, So I just want to give you props. That's a very interesting thing you did there. I also want to and and, and just so you know, the very first one he talks about was published by BYU, like the very first time a forensic analysis was done. Maybe talk
1: a little briefly about that. So I actually touch, including my own, on seven theories in the movie. The Church's theory, okay. John's theory, the Carthage conspiracy theory, and then the Lions brothers, then Sam Weston, and then um, Gary Smith. And then I present my own. Okay. So my intention was never to come up with my own theory and present my own theory. I wasn't even going to be in the film. My intention was just to interview everybody that knew anything about it and put together a documentary um, to show all all you know it's just fascinating when you come to the conclusion that a narrative you've believed your whole life might not be accurate then what is accurate and it's fascinating to see the details out there and there's far many more people than me who've been working on this for a long time and thinking this through and I just wanted to get that on a film but after i spent so many hours working on it and listening i realized Certain things made sense to me and certain things didn't make sense to me. And so I began to form my own theory. And um, Sam was probably the biggest inspiration to do that because he formed his own unique original theory, which I thought was great, that explained some key components of the evidence that the other theories hadn't addressed. And I didn't want to be one of those guys that just shoots holes in everybody else's theories, I realized I can't, I can't be that guy. I wanna stand up there with them and say, here's what I think happened and put myself in the light of scrutiny to say, go ahead, you know, tear this thing apart. That's how I think whatever the truth really is, that's how we're gonna to get to it is we keep making theories, we analyze them, we tear them apart, we make them stronger, we keep going. So that's how, that's how everything came together. The movie is like, I'm gonna show everything I learned and I'm gonna show you, here's what I think happened. So, so I wanna
0: say it's a beautifully produced film. I just wanna give a word of warning to people who are very sensitive. Uh, there's, there's some very graphic um, violence in it because he's recreating uh, these events. He's yeah. showing several different recreations. And, uh, and so that was very interesting. You know, the thing that really struck me was when you first started talking, I was like, oh my goodness, how in the world was he able to get permission to film in Carthage Jail? Uh, Tell me a little bit about that set you built because it was very convincing to me.
1: So we knew we had to build the set to reenact everything and to test our theory as well as the other theories. And we had a place that was all ready to go um, to build the set in and it fell through at the last minute. So we ended up building that In Steve Sorensen, was the filmmaker, we built it in his office. So it was nice because it was air conditioned and things like that, but it was super weird. In the middle of the night, we're pounding away building this set. In an office, it was crazy, but it ended up great. I mean, exact measurements and specifications of everything and it held all of the equipment. And it was great because it was in his office. Now we could keep it up as long as we wanted and run all sorts of different scenarios and as we the first thing we did was try to do the eyewitness accounts try to reenact the eyewitness accounts because you'll notice in every reenactment they don't do it all the way through they just show clips here's a shot here's a guy at the door with a gun you know and then add that all together so we wanted to run the whole thing through it does not work let me clear something up really quick quickly a lot of people feel like that landing outside of the door on top of the stairs is not big enough for a man to stand holding a musket with a bayonet. That's another thing I wanted to see and it is. It's plenty big. It's plenty big. You can hold a ton of people up there holding full muskets with bayonets shooting through that door. So that wasn't a problem. But what makes no sense is you have this big band of hoodlums trying to kill all these guys, pushing on the door with all of their guns And somehow there's four guys holding them back. Well, depends on which account. One account is it's two guys. One account is it's four guys. But then as soon as Hiram, you know, they back away. How did the mob not run into the door and blast everybody? That makes no sense. So when we were trying to reenact it, where they're sticking muskets through and they're hitting them with the sticks, it was so stupid. Everybody was getting stabbed with, with the bayonet it was thrashing the set the door it made no sense when you watch it for yourself you're like that eyewitness account makes no sense so we started running through the different theories from the different people and that's what i loved about that set is partially for filming it it was great but part the main reason why we liked it is so we could run through these scenarios to see how they looked in real life
0: yeah, it was very interesting to watch it. Now, like I said, I'm not an expert and I actually would like to have some people who've watched the film to maybe get in touch with me and we can come on because I think it's important that all all views are heard on my program. Uh, you know, I read a review from a friend of mine who was a guest on the program, Hannah Sariak, and she really uh, felt offended about your choice of music. Um, when the scene is shot, when you're showing basically the, your, your theory, she felt that um, it was kind of, I don't know, she felt like it was kind of like propaganda exploitive, um, that you're trying to use a song to really affect people. I just thought maybe you'd want to speak to that.
1: So first of all, um, as I've, as this movie has come out and I've seen the reaction and I'm making sense of the different reactions, The people who feel offended by the theory that I would even suggest that it was an inside job or offended by any part of the movie are adamant supporters of polygamy and believing that Joseph Smith practiced polygamy. So that seems to be the root of their anger with what I'm presenting on the film. Now, if you take that away, no, no one, like the people that are just like watching it as a film, no one gets offended by that. The reason why I did that song is it is a gut punch. It is every reenactment plays, a poor, you know, has John Taylor singing Poor Wayfaring Man of Grief. And I knew that I wanted to put that in to this film, but we changed the words to show the progression of what happened. It is a dark scene as you're talking about betrayal of your good friends so when you you know the first half of the film is mostly historical retelling the reenactment giving some of the background but the second half of the film is when we really start getting into the theories and here's what happened and so it's this progression you can't just come out and say here's what happened you have to show the context of what happened and so that's what that song represents. It represents here's the normal narrative you've believed your whole life, but it's not what you thought. Here's what it really means. And so that's when the song switched, switches to a darker, the darker half, which is where John Taylor is considering. I mean, started out as a good guy, trying to do his best, and somehow got caught into all of this. And now he, he's here making the decision to pull the trigger on the prophet Joseph. That's not a light topic. None of that is light. And so the song reflects that. That was why we made that choice.
0: You know, so folks, some of you might be wondering, why are you giving this guy a platform, you know? And, uh, I've, and of course I've gotten pushback on some of the other guests that I've had on. And the main thing is to have conversations with everybody. Now, one thing is I've been hearing from, about a third of my audience are evangelical or Christian. Uh, Some are actually Lutherans, Episcopalians, and lots of throughout the world. And many of the Christians that watch my program are Christians that are interested in the restoration. Some of them are using it as research for apologetics uh, from their viewpoint. And it's just a matter of time before your missionaries are going to be knocking on the doors. And there are going to be Christians and evangelicals that are going to be presenting this film and this theory to them. So this is something that is going to be, I mean, because it's making ripples amongst evangelicals I'm in touch with as well. So they will be using this film. I'm just giving you a report, you know, letting you all know how the, the lay of the land here. And so I thought it's mm-hmm. important that I talk to you. Um, so let me ask you, what is it, how does it feel for you that perhaps anti-Mormons might use your movie?
1: Use it? For Use it as
0: a, For... as a as a proselytizing tool or as a means to bash the, the restoration in the church?
1: That's a great question. Um, at the end of the day, I mean this is going to sound harsh, but I hope it does hurt. When you hear about the movie, And you hear about the evidence. You know, it's easy to just throw up your wall and say, ah, there's no way this could be true. But if it gets in at all and you start considering it and it hurts, good. You know why? Because I want it to drive you to your knees. I mean, you quit looking at the narrative. Quit looking to other people for answers. Get down on your knees and figure this thing out. You can figure it out. Or you can avoid that process of asking questions and taking them to the Lord and just keep relying on whoever will verify the narrative that makes you feel the most comfortable. If that's what you want to do, then I'm like, whatever. These missionaries, when they run into people questioning, it'll just be annoying. But who cares? Nothing will happen towards getting anybody closer to the truth. But if they look them in the eye, and this happened to me on my mission, you know, people brought up the Godmakers movie. And it was people that were good friends that I had met on my mission. So I didn't just blow them off. But I was like, what the heck does this mean? And it hurt. It was a gut punch. And I had to work through that. And it made me, I think, a better person that I was willing to do that rather than just ignore it. Same thing. Somebody brought up on my mission, you know, 19-year-old kid that doesn't know anything. And somebody brings up the connection between uh, the Masons and the Mormon temple. I had no idea. I wasn't prepared to answer or talk about that at all. And I was left by myself like, what is going on? But I was able to, you know, overcome that. But at that time, I didn't really ask the good questions. I did exactly what I said you shouldn't do, which is I turned to people who were were willing to defend the narrative and give me excuses that satisfied where I could stay comfortable. Well, I hope that doesn't happen on this movie. I hope on this movie, you say, you know what? I don't care about critics either way. I don't care about Justin. I don't care about any of these guys. I care about getting to the truth myself. I put every single study that I went through in the movie, in the credits. You can begin to study this yourself if you want. And you can come up with your own answers. And maybe you don't agree with everything I said. Great. Let's talk it through. But there's some pretty harsh conclusions that you're going to have to work through when you look at this evidence, truly. And the critics, like the one that you mentioned, their initial reaction to the movie, it's disheartening because I'm like, okay, you've just dismissed it. You're not going to even look into this at all. Okay, fine, whatever. But then there's other people that are reacting and they're asking questions. Well, what about this? What about this? You said this wrong. And I'm like, fantastic. That's what I was hoping for, was people asking questions and continuing the conversation. This story has been buried too long. It's time to look at it and say what happened really to Joseph.
0: You know, this movie is not for the faint of heart. I think if you're a faithful LDS and you see the portrayal that he gives, I think you will be deeply uh, offended and upset by it. So if you are sensitive, I don't recommend you watch it. But for those of you that are out there, and it's very graphic, the violence is graphic, so just be aware of that, uh, that are interested in at least hearing this theory, because uh, the reality is, is, it's like the God makers, you know, like you're going to, it's going to confront you, uh, if you're on the mission field, like you did in the eighties and nineties out in the mission field. And so this will be the next thing that the, that will evangelicals will be bringing up, it will be talked about, um, you know, the idea of president Taylor shooting, um, you know, doing all this is, would be just an an offensive thing. And I can, and I, I would equate it to an evangelical coming across a document that the apostles turns out they, they, they betray Jesus. You know that would be a story I would not want to hear. You know, so I understand the reaction. Well, one one did. <laughs> You're right, exactly. I'm saying like Peter and John, they all conspired. It wasn't, and they made it Judas was the one that was the good guy. You know, yeah, or something, and When you know. read the
1: first, when you read Judas the first time, were you like, what? How could he do that? Yeah, it's yeah. not fun, right? It's not fun right. to come to that realization. Well, the same thing happens. You know, same thing happened to Joseph. He was betrayed by insiders.
0: So at the end of the movie, you mentioned that, um, you, as a result of you, um, uh, releasing this film and producing it, that you were, uh, excommunicated, um, by the church, perhaps just talk to that.
1: So it was interesting because, you know, we had been talking about the film months before the release to get a buzz going, um but not talking about details really but when i made a first cut of it we we were showing that to a couple of audiences and there was a lady that claimed to have seen that cut and she started really just bashing on it and i don't i'm not convinced that she saw it but whether she did or not somehow the word got out and the church called us in and to talk about the film And they hadn't seen it. They had just heard the details from this person saying that we were claiming that Brigham Young killed Joseph Smith. And of course, Brigham Young's not even mentioned in the entire film, but they did say, well, what's the film about? And I explained, here's a bunch of different theories about what happened at Carthage. And then I present my own theory. And I was honest. I said, you're not going to like my theory. My theory questions the current narrative. And they said... They called it conduct unbecoming a member. They said, why would you make something that questions people's faith in the church? And, you know, that was that was a good question. I, I wasn't making it to question. I wasn't making it to hurt people, if that makes sense. I mean, your reason for doing something is multifaceted. You can't say I did it for this. There's a lot of reasons why, and different reasons come and go. I wasn't. You know, my desire, I think, was the church has such tremendous resources and an amazing team of researchers. I would, I would have loved to say, let's work together to get to the bottom of this. Because you think I'm the only one that was going to come up with this theory, you're crazy. Go look at the reaction. There's tons of people who are already thinking this, and they're like, ah, oh, I could see, it. I wanted to do this too. I just happened to be the first one to put it together in this format. If it wasn't me, it was going to be someone else. But I was willing to work with them and say, let's get to the bottom of this and come up with the scenarios, you know, that people can figure out the truth for themselves. And they shut that down. They were like, no, you need to take this down. And I refused. I refused. I was like, no, this is, I think this is, this needs to be seen by people. I think this, this information needs to be released and people can make their own decision and they just weren't cool with that. So they, I lost my membership over it. And so said, or people are making me out like I'm a martyr about that I'm like no because no one cares about me no one cares about me but it is important to understand that's the level of reaction that comes when you dare question a commonly accepted narrative it's going to result in violent reactions and I had to be prepared for that and that part is tough for sure but You know, there's two different people. because One of them, again, they don't care. They're going to not think about that thing, not ask questions about it. They're just going to say there's no way it's true and pound on whatever they can and attack you personally and try to make you look anything they can do to keep their paradigm. But then there's other legitimate seekers of truth, and they have to go through that major paradigm breaking as well. And those ones, my heart goes out to and I'm like, you know what? It hurts for a little bit, but when that hurt dies down, now you can dig dig in yourself and try and figure out what this really means. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone else is right. You've got to figure that out for yourself. Quit trusting other people and trust yourself. Ask the questions yourself. That's what I'm hoping for. So however
0: details you want to give me, I mean, obviously you're excommunicated from the church. It's a very traumatic thing. How has this affected you, your personal, like for personal friendships and family familial
1: relationships uh, maybe talk a little bit about that whatever you're comfortable talking about different people have reacted differently it was not a good thing for me it was not a great experience I had put my life into the church um it was it was not just me it was my wife and I they brought us both in together and Uh excommunicated both of us And I asked him, I was like, you know, what do we have to do to keep our membership? And they laid out these points, one of which is we had to uh, not show this movie. And we said, can we take some time to go and pray about this and figure out what the Lord wants us to do? And they said, no, you're done. You're done. So, but I didn't just go out and talk to everybody about this. That lady I was talking about online somehow found out, well, However, she found it, she blasted all over line online, and I'm just like, okay, great. Um, but whatever. I, I don't. I don't want to talk about it if it's okay, man.
0: No, not a problem. It wasn't was I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Um, so, at this point, I guess I, I I just want to ask about your personal faith. You know, how has your personal faith? Uh, What role has Jesus played in
1: this journey for you? So my personal faith is everything to me. Um, I have a relationship with the Lord like I've never had before. I feel like I can go with him to my questions and my concerns. I feel led and directed by him. Specifically, I can read, get instructions from him. I understand faith now. I used to think faith was just gritting your teeth and clenching your fists and really trying even harder. But now I understand is faith is reaching out as a child to the Lord and asking him, what do you want me to do? And whatever he tells you to do, you do your best to do that. And everything that he tells you to do is going to help you come back to him, closer to him, have a stronger relationship with him. And the really hard things that I had to do, those idols that I was telling you about that I had to give up, it was true. All of them, by giving that up, it got me closer to the Lord. And so now that's what I seek, is how do I become closer to him? How do I have a stronger relationship with him? How do I stay connected to his spirit so that I'm doing what he wants? And that means I have to put what I want aside. And that means I have to put what everyone else tells me they want aside and he and he comes first hmm. so i i just one question i have
0: that's kind of uh interesting to me is i you were filming your scenes with sam weston in a uh, garage with all these uh, collectible cars uh yeah I, I for people who are really like car aficionados tell us was that his collection is that his garage I mean, what is that
1: yeah that's that's one of the things he does. Many things, and that's one of the things he does is he restores classic cars.
0: Yeah, I just I said I got to ask him about that because I know a lot of people are going to want to ask that question. So thank you. Um, yeah. You know, I really appreciate you coming on. I, um, you know, like I said, I was a little reluctant. I was thinking, do I really want to get involved in this? And it's not my goal to stir anything up. Um, I'm, I just really want to have genuine conversations um, and get to know people on a personal level. Talk about their faith journeys. Mm-hmm. And so I want to thank you, Justin Griffin, very much for coming on to our, to my program. I just want to know if you have any final words you'd like to share with my audience. Yes, I believe
1: in God. Heavenly Father, he's there, he's real, we are his children. Um, but I didn't even really know God. I knew what was taught to me about God, but I didn't really know him until i started asking in prayer and coming to him and really the lord has taught me about who the father is and the the lord always follows the heavenly father's commandments and never takes credit for anything always gives all glory to the father um he jesus christ is our master he's our teacher he's our example um If we come to him and follow his commandments, he finds a way to make that work for us. All of the gifts of the spirit that he talks about will manifest in your life if you're on his errand. And I've learned that. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to come of all of this. I don't know how it all ends up, but I had to do it. I had to do it and I did it and I'm willing to accept the consequences of it. And I'll keep moving forward. And I have my ideas of what I hope it does for people. But at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? Don't be afraid. Ask your own questions. Develop your own relationship with the Lord. Go to him yourself. You don't need an intermediary telling you what to do. And when you understand this about the Lord, now you're going to understand that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of the Lord. That was his desire. Not to bring you to him, but to help you go to the Lord like he had done. And when you understand that, you also can understand from the scriptures, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, all of these things, their goal is to lead us to Christ. Not a thousand millennia from now after you're long dead, but in this life, while you're alive, you don't have to wait to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have it now. But you have to exercise faith. You have to reach out. You have to pray. You have to ask. You have to seek, knock, ask. And that's, I guess, my real message is do that. Do that. Don't worry about everybody else and all the reactions. Get right with God yourself. So just one
0: little follow-up. Uh, you mentioned in the film, part two. Uh, when can we see expect to see part two coming out?
1: hopefully within the year
0: okay and what just can you give us a hint as to what it's going to be covering motive okay very good well justin thank you very much for coming on to the program uh thank you for taking your time to do this uh i just want to remind my audience to like and subscribe uh don't forget to hit the notification button to be informed when a new episode comes out also want to remind you that our patreon page is up and running i want to thank you to my Patreons who are donating to the channel. Uh, Check out our website, mormonbookreviews.com. And don't forget, we're on all the podcast platforms. We're adding a a couple more this week. Uh, So wherever fine podcasts are available, just look up Mormon Book Reviews and download it in that format as well. You all have yourself a great day.